Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I want y'all to think about something. I want you to think about how impressionable young kids are. I want you to think about your kids, or even when you were a kid, and I want you to think about just how easy it was for them to see something or have one little thing happen to them, and all of a sudden, that's their favorite thing for a long time. So I'll give you an example. I remember I had a, there was a boy at church who was four years older than me. His name was Chris Neighbors, and Chris Neighbors was a diehard, him and his dad were diehard Denver Broncos fans, and I remember we'd go play at the neighbor's house, and I would be in Chris's room, and I remember for like a year or so, I wanted to wear my John Elway jersey all the time. And I think about my dad being a big Cowboys fan, probably wasn't a too big of a fan of that, but you know, that was, and I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have known as a young kid to say, well, Chris likes the Broncos, so I do, but that's just how it works. And I remember my uh, cousin, Ryan, Ryan Southworth, he played football for the Air Force Academy, and he loved a fullback that played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers named Mike Allstott. I had never heard of Mike Allstott before. I didn't have a clue. I was probably 10 years old. You know, no idea. What did I want for Christmas? I wanted a number 40 Mike Allstott Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey. And that's because as a kid, we are like this. And even... and. This still happens to us as an adults, but especially when we're kids. There are just different times where you have an experience. You go, you know, all it takes is someday Colton's going to take Ava to an A&M football game, and she's going to be seven years old, and she's going to be like, well, that's it. I'm sold. I'm going to be an Aggie. You know what I mean? They just, you see the band, and you hear the music, and you're sold. You're hooked. And that impressionableness, one of the things that I would say was one of my biggest fears going from youth ministry to preaching was the fact that when you talk to a teenager, you have the real potential to change their life because they're very moldable. People that aren't teenagers anymore aren't near as moldable. Pretty, a lot more firmness in that clay, if you know what I'm saying. And this is something that is important for the book of Proverbs. And so the book of Proverbs asks the question, like I mentioned last week in the introduction, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, they all ask the question, how do I live this life well? And Proverbs is written in a very poetic way that answers the question, the way that you live well is the fear of the Lord. And that one of the reasons I like Proverbs so much is there's a very clear way in which Proverbs says, listen, there are some rules that have been woven, woven into our universe that if you choose to do this thing, you will tend to have good consequences. And if you choose to do this thing, you will tend to have bad consequences. This idea that if you want to live your life following a certain order and path, you're going to tend to have a good life. That's what Proverbs seems to say. Let me give you some analogies. If I told you that if you study hard in your classes and you turn in all your assignments, you will tend to not fail that class. This is how Proverbs works. Proverbs, we often read the passages in Proverbs and the way Proverbs would have said it was, to the one who studies and listens to the teacher and to the one who turns in their assignments, your grades will be good. And to the one who does not pay attention and to the one who forgets their assignments at home, you will get zeros and you will fail. That's how Proverbs writes a lot of stuff. Very wise sayings. But that's not God saying, 
if you study, I'm going to make sure you pass. What, that's what Proverbs is saying is, when you tend to live in this ordered and good way, there tends to be good consequences. Now, that's the reason why we are going to look at all three of these books together. Because Ecclesiastes doesn't sound like that. And Job for sure doesn't sound like that. But that's why you need all three of these books in conversation with each other. But while we're in the happy book, let's stay in the happy book, okay? And we'll do a few weeks of Proverbs, but one of the, uh, there's a few more that you can think of. Uh, if I were trying to talk to Landry Joe someday, and I was hoping that she would do good in sports, I'd say, listen, always try to be first in line, not in a mean way, but when the coach says, hey, I need y'all to line up here, try to be first in line and be very respectful. And whatever the coach tells you to do, do it 100%. I'd rather you do something 100% wrong than do it 75%, you know, just trying. Just, and you will tend to be someone that the coaches say, I like this kid. They're trying hard. You might, you might get to get more playing time. That's a proverb I might tell them. Or I might say, you might say that a proverb would be, if you eat fruits and vegetables and avoid corn syrup and fried food, you will tend to be healthier, right? I'm not saying God blesses those who eat fruits and vegetables. I'm saying this is a way God has ordered our world. If you tend to do this, you would tend to be healthier. If you tend to drink corn syrup all the time and eat fried food all the time, you will tend to clog your arteries. It's not God punishing us. It's a way that the world is ordered. And the book of Proverbs has four characters in it. Now, this whole character idea, you're really going to have to hold on to because it's all symbolic. We often don't read the Bible as symbolism when it really is symbolic. In this book, there are two good characters and two bad characters. There's the wise father who is like a king, who is the author of the book. And there is the deceptive man who is trying to, to get you to do bad things, a tempter. There is a woman who is a wise woman. I'm going to call her Lady Wisdom all during this sermon. If you're like, wait a second, is there actually a woman? No, it's symbolic. It's like when someone refers to their boat as, well, she's a real good boat. You know, she gets me where she needs to go. Is the boat actually a girl? No, but it's a symbol, a personification. We, we do this. And then there's also a deceptive woman. These are the four characters. The father, Lady Wisdom, the person that's going to try and uh, bring you harm, and then what I'll call Lady Foolishness or Lady Folly. Or you might call her the wayward woman, okay? These are our four characters, okay? And the book starts with this father figure talking to us like a father would talk to a son. So anytime you see in a passage, my son heed my words, he's not actually talking, saying like this is only for boys. Proverbs wasn't written just for young men. But what it was written for is the idea of I want you to read these words when you are young and impressionable. When you are young and moldable, I'm trying to get you set on the right path in life. And what we're going to do is we're going to read, and I hope you don't mind, but we are going to read two long passages that are going to show us a picture of the father saying to a son, God saying to us, his people, there is one woman out there that I want you to stay away from, and there is a woman out there that I want you to draw near to. Now keep in mind, this if you were to read this, you would think, okay, wait, he's talking about literally a literal woman. And No, these are symbolic, okay? So if you want to turn in your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 7. We're going to read Proverbs 7 and 8, and they are meant to be read next to each other. Now, I was a little nervous about this sermon in case we had a young audience, but I, we don't have any of our teens here, so I'm not as worried about it. But if you read this chapter and you think, this sounds a little edgy or adult content, 
It sure is. Because this is serious stuff. Okay? So turn to Proverbs 7, and we're going to read along. I'm going to try my best to keep up with the slides as I read. So, the wise father is about to speak to us, his son. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They keep you from the adulterous woman. This adulterous woman is not an actual woman. It is a symbol of a life lived away from God. Hold, that, hold on to that tight. This woman is a symbol of a life lived away from God. From the wayward woman with her seductive words. Oh, I'm behind. From the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the, ho- at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. This is the father. He's looking down at the streets from the window of his home. And I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, this woman's corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. She's always out in the town trying to find someone to come to her home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, Today I went to the temple and I fulfilled my vows to this God. I have stood, or I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Come in, eat at my table. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. This is the woman talking to the young, impressionable son. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on for a long journey. Don't worry, my husband's not coming back. You can, you can come in. He's, he's a long way away. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Here, here's where it gets dark. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, this is symbolic. This is the father saying to all this. Now then, my children, my people, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading leading down to the chambers of death. Does that give you chills or what? And the message that is being said here is, if we take this literally, the literal message is, guys, watch out for promiscuous women. That is not what this chapter is about. Yes, that's good advice. This chapter is for men and women, young and old, saying there is someone out there going to try and get you to come into their house, trying to get you to choose them, to choose that life, to choose foolishness, to choose to not have a fear of the Lord, but to care about other things. And there's going to be all sorts of things that look real tempting about it. 
There's going to be all sorts of things that are like, well, the man's not there anymore. Well, I mean, no one will know. Well, I mean, and all sorts of things. And what the father is warning his son is that is a place where a lot of people go and a lot of people have gone and you will find death there, there like an ox going to the slaughter. And one of the things that strikes me so clearly about this and why I love the way that Solomon described this is often I think whenever I'm going through my day, it feels like it's like, well, am I going to make a good choice or a bad choice? Like choosing where I want to eat lunch. Very realistic here because there's only a couple choices, you know, good or bad, Subway or Bushes, you know, there's, or Chicken Express. There's really not a lot of options. That's not what's described here. What's described here is that living the foolish life, and remember, foolish doesn't mean dumb. Foolish means not having a fear of the Lord, not honoring and submitting to God. Foolishness is not waiting for you to choose them or not. Foolishness is on the prowl for you. Foolishness is hoping to convince you to come to her house. Now, let's meet the person that the father would like the son to meet. The person that the father would like the son to go to. This is Proverbs chapter 8. Oh, yeah. Foolishness is pursuing you. Trying to draw you in. Now let's meet Lady Wisdom. Not an actual woman, but when you describe her this way, it really brings the, the idea to life. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. My lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound mind, or counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. I love this idea. It's if you have a fear of the Lord, the consequences of those good decisions you're making as a king or a ruler are because of your respect for the wisdom, the respect for honoring God. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Does that sound familiar? With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses... What I yield surpasses choice silver. Notice that she says, with me is enduring wealth and prosperity, and then follows that right up with saying, what I have is better than gold or silver. So if you read that and think that they're saying, if you have wisdom, you're going to be rich with financial gain, you're reading it wrong. She's saying, you will be wealthy and prosperous, but it has nothing to do with money. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning when the world came to be. 
When there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in its place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overlap, overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Wisdom has been there from the beginning, the truth of who God is. All right, I'm wrapping up, I know. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, not at that other woman's doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, those who go at night to the other person's house, those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. You have your choice, people. This is what this is about. You have this one woman who personifies living a life where you do not honor, submit, revere, love, fear the Lord. And you have this other woman where she lists all of these great things. The lady, Folly, moves covertly at dusk and speaks falsely. Lady Wisdom moves publicly and speaks direct and authoritative truth. Unlike the smooth, seductive, and deceptive speech of this other wayward woman, wisdom speech is straight, it is right, it is true, it is not twisted and crooked. I'm quoting literally from the passage whenever she says, my ways are right and true, not twisted and crooked. She's talking about the other way. The lady folly, foolishness, leads her victims into slavery, into impoverishment and death. But she does it with something that sounds really great. Wisdom speech leads her followers to kingship, to wealth, and to life. But it doesn't necessarily sound as exciting. The foreign wife inhabits the earthly and the mundane, and wisdom soars in heaven above space and time. Both of them are in the same town. One's standing at the center of the town calling out, and one's searching and walking through the city. They're both in the same town. And they're both calling out for the love of the unmolded, the impressionable young people. They're both calling out, hoping that one of them can get to them first and say, I want to appeal to you seductively to come with me. And wisdom wants to appeal spiritually, please come to my door. The room and the home of Lady Folly is a death trap and the home of Lady Wisdom is abundant life. And so one of the first things I have to say is that this sermon was really simple to get ready for because there's just a real simple question that the author is trying to get you to think about. Are you going to choose one door or are you going to choose the other door? Are you going to choose to say, and, and this, is, this is something that's so tough, so tough, but everything in, our, everything in me reads this and thinks, well, obviously you'd want to choose life, but why do we never do that? Why do so many of us constantly find ways to say, well, you know what? I want to choose life long term, but right now I need a little bit of this other lady. You know, I want long term. This is the life I want, but tonight, ugh, I just need some of, of this other door. 
Today, I just don't have the patience, God. I got to go to this other door. And you would think when you read this, it's like the father being like, isn't this obvious to you? Isn't this clear? And how often, though, do we find ourselves where it's incredibly hard to choose the right door? It's incredibly hard to listen to the call of wisdom. Both of them are trying to make an impression on you early. And the question we have to ask ourselves every day is, who will we say yes to? Who will we go home with? Who will we make our life partner? This young man is going to choose to be with one woman or another. And we have the same choice. Who are we going to be with? And the good news is, as I talk about all this, it is impossible not to read Proverbs 8 and see Jesus Christ bouncing off the page continually. In the beginning was the word, the wisdom, the truth of who God is. She walked with him in the beginning. And that word became flesh. And that word is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he dwelled among us. And he said to everyone, Listen, I'm calling out to you in the streets. Listen to my voice. Come to my door. We have all sorts of passages where when we just did Colossians, Colossians just got done talking about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that all things belong to him, are in him, and created in him. That sounds like Proverbs 8 when it described her at the beginning of creation. Now, if you're like, wait, Drew, are you saying that... I'm not saying that they're the same person. What I'm saying is Proverbs 8 is trying to describe wisdom. And then God said, you know what? I'll describe wisdom perfectly. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's going to come and live and dwell among you. And you're going to see what it looks like to truly live a wise, abundant life of wealth and prosperity that has nothing to do with silver and gold. Jesus calls his disciples and he says, come and follow me. Come and see what this is about. This life is about. When Jesus in Luke 12, there's a great part where he's talking to the Pharisees and he says, there was a time where the, the queen of Sheba came to get wisdom from Solomon. And now someone even wiser than Solomon is here and you won't come listen to the wisdom. You won't come to my door. Luke 21 is probably my favorite illustration of Jesus describing this wisdom. In, in Luke 21, he's praying for his disciples. He's talking to them. Oh, Jesus is the true wisdom. And he calls. He's talking to his disciples and he's praying for them and he's warning them about the life that they should expect as a follower of God. The life that they should expect if they choose to come to Jesus' door. But before all this, Jesus is warning his disciples, Luke 21, 15 through 19, they will seize you and persecute you. Now, we may not have ever had that happen where we were arrested and thrown into jail for being a Christian, but they sure did in the early church. And he's warning them, they are going to seize you and they're going to persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. And you and so you will bear testimony to me. We may not be thrown in jail in our lifetime, but one thing we can be certain of is we will have testimony. We will have an opportunity to speak to what we believe. And he says, but make up for your mind, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. I grew up always thinking that that meant when that day comes, I'm going to have the most amazing answers to all their questions. I'm going to speak so eloquently. But you know why that's not what it's talking about? It's because Jesus isn't saying when I give you wisdom, it means I'm going to give you all the right smartest things to say. When he says I'm going to give you wisdom, he's saying you're going to have me. You're going to have the fear of the Lord. And you're going to be able to say 
I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose this door. I'm not going to choose these other doors. That's what Jesus is going to give you when this time comes. And that is, there's no contradiction they can say to that. There's nothing they can argue to. I, I choose Jesus. I choose the fear of the Lord. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends. And they will, be, they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Does that sound like the good life to anybody? Does that sound like a great life? Does that sound like something you want to sign up for? Jesus is saying, I am true wisdom, and if you come to my doors, this is what you should expect. But then he finishes with this, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. This series is called The Good Life, and I want you to hear me say, hopefully every single sermon, if you think the good life looks like none of the stuff happening to you that was just described by Jesus, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is, is that you will constantly face these things. Persecution, trial. Some of us will even be put to death. There are people who are Christians in the Middle East right now who are going to be killed because of their faith in Christ. But what we know is that the good life, the one where we choose not to go to this door, but we choose to go to Jesus' door, is the good life. In Him, we will win life. It's funny, there's a phrase that kids say these days. Kids these days, you know, like, I'm so old now. But uh, they'll say something like, oh man, that's winning. Uh, that's winning at life. You know, if, if I got on a plane and they were like, I'm sorry, sir, your seat's been taken, but we moved you to first class. You know, oh, that's winning. Man, I'm winning at life. And this phrase doesn't sound like winning at life, but we have to trust that in this life of wisdom, when we choose the door of Jesus Christ, that's where we will find the good life, the life where wisdom is found. I'm not a salesperson, and one of my biggest beefs with being a preacher is sometimes today Christianity can look a whole lot like a sales pitch. Hey guys, come on down to the church. Come get involved in this. That's something I struggled about with youth ministry. It was like, how do I convince kids to want to come to this? And all the ways that we ever convince them to come are, it's going to be more fun. It's going to be more exciting. We're going to have the best this and the best that. And then when we get to the gospel, that is not the gospel. There is nothing exciting about this sales pitch. If anything, it's very deterring. I, I had a professor at ACU who said he would preach at this small congregation outside of Abilene, and the baptistry was literally a hole in the, the stage that they had dug a mud pit under the stage, and whenever somebody got baptized, they'd creak open the thing, and literally like spiders and cockroaches would just go everywhere. And his thought was, now you really got to want it to get baptized at this church, okay? That's what this is about. And what I want you to hold on to is every time you find yourself thinking, well, why on earth would I go to the, the woman in Proverbs 7? Of course I'm going to go to Proverbs 8. This is what, why we don't do that. Because the Proverbs 8 lady wisdom, because following Jesus often does not look glamorous. Frankly, it's the opposite of glamorous. But we have to trust as the people of God and we have to show people this is the way of life. And when we find ourselves in a situation where everyone looks at our life and says, how on earth do you have hope? How on earth do you have faith? How on earth are you able to keep going despite your life being terrible? Is to say, I have Jesus Christ in my life. Therefore, I believe I have the good life, the abundant life, no matter what it looks like. If any of you would like to know what that looks like, if any of you would like to start a journey of pursuing this life, 
while this other life is chasing after you, so many of us would love to talk to you. The elders are going to be standing at the doors. And my prayer and my hope for you, even though this passage is meant for designed for young, impressionable people. I believe none of us are ever too old to change what door we choose to go to every day. Let's stand and sing this song.